everyone, I'm Emily. I'm a third year Lauren Commerce student and I'll be doing the Bible reading. So it's found on the inside of your picture that you'll see if you'll follow along. Um, it's from Acts uh, 3, 1 to 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask the alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for arms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Stand up the front. You have to wear a white T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> We're just copying your Richard. Really <laughs> Those of you who didn't, shame. <laughs> My name is uh, Richard, and if it's your first time with us, it's a special welcome to you. And what we do week by week is to work through a certain part of the Bible, uh, and. We do believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And as such, therefore, if God has spoken to us, we strongly believe that it's important to ask Him for help in understanding the Word of God. So if you are the praying kind, please pray with me for a moment. Our Father in Heaven, we thank you for the privilege it is to know you as our Lord and Saviour. And for those who are investigating, we thank you that we can be here. And as we look at this portion of the Bible, we pray that you might help us to understand it and respond in a manner that is truly pleasing to you. And we pray this for Jesus' most precious sake. Amen. Amen. <coughs> it was the best of times... It was the worst of times. So begins a novel entitled, does anybody know? Who, sorry? The Tale of Two Cities. A Tale of Two Cities. The English Man. <laughs> written by whom, apart from the English Man, who knows? Written by whom, anybody? Charles Dickens. Well done, Charles Dickens. You've just done year 12. <laughs> <laughs> And it concerns, does anybody know? Two cities. Two cities. <laughs> the French Revolution. How did you know that, Brian? It's amazing. Yeah, that's right. It concerns the French Revolution. The best of times and the worst of times. And that's not a bad description of 2018, the year that we live in. These are the best of times. In terms of physical achievements, we've seen the amazing feats of the Winter Olympic Games recently. 
I don't know whether you noticed, but we also had a world record broken by a 99-year-old man who swam 50 metres in about 50 seconds. Isn't that amazing? 99 years of age doing that. There are feats of entertainment. We can see movies like The Greatest Showman and sing along as well. Uh, we have access to the best technology in the world. Wait for it. Driverless shuttle cars are about to come into Sydney in the not-too-distant future. You think, oh yeah, I knew about that. Driverless shuttle. Wait for it. It was printed by 3D printers to get those driverless shuttle cars. Isn't that incredible? That's where we're headed. One day, you're just going to go down to uh, one of the shops nearby, they're going to press print and out comes your car. It's amazing. You don't want a car, you just burn it down, put it in the printer again, it comes out another car. That's where we're heading for your grandchildren. And then <laughs> <laughs> the <rest of> time. <laughs> and we enjoy peace and prosperity in Australia that is unparalleled at the moment, really, in the world. But these are also the worst of times, aren't they? Since World War II, we've seen human tragedies with the Syrian crisis and terrorist acts and mass school shootings. There are environmental uncertainties. 11 years since the tsunami that hit the Pacific Rim and Japan in particular, uh, causing rising sea levels. Uh, there's been a huge earthquake in Papua New Guinea that I take it most of you have at least heard one or two things about, but if you haven't, it's because, well, they can't get footage of it. But it's there happening right on our doorstep. There's strident secularism, legalising euthanasia, the erosion of freedom of speech and freedom of religion, certainly in Australia. We're still not able to stop cancer, despite modern medicine. And in terms of Christian living, there are more Christians being persecuted this year than any other year in history. It's hard to believe, but it actually is the case. So if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. I hope you're feeling good. <laughs> We're working systematically through this part of the Bible called the book of Acts. We're now up to chapters 3 and 4, which we've heard the first 10 verses of chapter 3 read out for us. And it also feels like the best and worst of times in the story of Christianity. It's the best of times <coughs> in chapter 3, or certainly at the end of chapter 2. There's a minimum of 3,000 people saved after a sermon. 5,000 people saved after two sermons, basically, in the one place in Jerusalem. The church is united in their devotion to the apostles and the teaching of, uh, sorry, teaching of the apostles and to prayer. The believers are there all gathered together. They're sharing things in common. And many people are being saved daily. It's the best of times up to that time. But it's also the beginning of the worst of times because persecution is about to start. And we'll see if see something of that as we move through the account. And all this, all this is part of the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. You'll see in your outline there we're up to point two, and the restoration of the kingdom is really part of this big story of the book of Acts. That in God's timing Jesus will establish his rule from heaven as king over all the nations. That's the big 
big theme in God's timing, Jesus will establish His rule from heaven as King over all the nations. He started with the apostles in chapter 1, commissioned by Jesus to be his witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria as one region, and then the ends of the earth. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll notice that the kingdom has been restored to some extent. It was being restored, well, back in chapter 1, they replaced Judas <coughs> with Matthias to make up 12, the symbolic number of Israel. In chapter 2 that we saw last week, the Holy Spirit of the risen Jesus had been poured out from heaven upon his people to show that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, the King of his kingdom, of all the nations. And here in chapters 3 and 4, we see an incident involving a lame man that foreshadows the coming kingdom. As we work through this account, which is essentially the one big unit spanning two chapters... It's going to be brought to you by the letter I is Incident, interpretation, and impact. Well, firstly, the incident. Have a look there at chapter 3, verse 1. The small number 1 on the left-hand side there of your outline. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour. And a man lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, simple, straightforward, comprehension question that I'm going to get you to ask one another, so preferably someone you perhaps haven't spoken to already, either behind you, beside you, in front of you, you just work out what your neck can do to rotate. <laughs> and just... Ask this simple comprehensive question. What do we learn about the lame man? It's easy comprehension. 30 seconds. Go. And it's just really, really obvious comprehension stuff. Okay, so feel very free to speak at this point in time. Nobody should feel nervous. What do we learn about the lame man? He was lame from birth. He was lame from birth. Now, it's not in this passage, but later on in chapter 4, does anybody know, if you've read on, how old this man was? Is he like 40? Yeah, he's 40. So he's been lame for at least 40 years from birth. What else do we learn about this lame man over this side, perhaps? That he was a beggar? That he was a beggar, yes. And how often did he come to the temple gate? Daily. But he didn't come there, did he? He didn't walk there. <laughs> he was brought there daily, wasn't he? So this man is lame from birth, that is, over 40 years, and he's brought to the temple every day to beg. Then what happens in terms of the incident? Well, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked them for arms, and he held out his palms, and we could make a song from that, couldn't we? But let's have a look at verse 4 and see what it actually says. Right? When this lame man asks Peter and John for money, well, look what happens, verse 4. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, 
expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Two commands. Did you notice? First command. Look at us. Right? He's saying, look at me. Look at me. Right? Look at us. Second command. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. Two commands. Then Peter takes him by the right hand, raises him up to his feet, which are made of, well, sorry, which are made strong, his ankles, right? And his healing is both immediate and complete. No, immediate and complete. Remember, he has never ever walked for 40 odd years. Even if you hear about miracles today, my guess is they are not of this order. Now, I've not checked out every healing in the world, so I don't know for sure, but my guess is you haven't seen a healing of this magnitude, where it's immediate and complete when a lame man from birth has never ever walked. Right? This formerly lame man doesn't need physiotherapy to learn to walk. Do you know that if you are an adult and a female who is uh, pregnant and you have the threat of premature labour, you are actually ordered to be bed-bound on your back, often for weeks and weeks. I know of a friend who actually worked with us and she was bed-bound for 10 weeks. And do you know what? She kind of had to learn how to walk again. With physiotherapy. This man leaps. 40 years. Never ever learnt to walk. But now he walks and leaps and praises God. So understandably people are filled with wonder and amazement at what happens to him. So that's the incident, right? That's the incident. But what's the interpretation? Well, just as the signs and wonders at the day of Pentecost triggered Peter's sermon in chapter 2, as we saw last week, if you were here, so the sign and wonder of this healing triggers his sermon here in chapter 3. Both were almighty acts of the risen Jesus. Both were what Jesus continued to do and teach through his apostles by his Spirit. And here is Peter's interpretation of the incident. We're at point B, the interpretation of the incident. And here we come to the next section in chapter 3 on the screen. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name 
by faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Do you see what is Peter's interpretation? Firstly, he says, instead of staring at us, stare at Jesus. Look at Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The God of your fathers, well, they glorified Jesus. They glorified his servant in the bold. But what did you do? See, in the bold, you denied Jesus. You denied the holy and righteous one. In fact, you killed the very author of life. But what did God do? He raised him from the dead. And it's in his name. Only by trusting in his name does this man walk. Why his name? What's so important about his name? Well, why not just say he trusted in Jesus? Why do you have to trust in the name of Jesus? That's an interpretation <coughs> question, by the way. That's not a comprehension question. So let's go to the interpretation question. And now speak to the people that you're speaking with, or whoever, around about you now. And ask that question. Why is the name of Jesus so important? Go for it. Always for you to fill out something and put it in the box and we'll attempt to answer questions as well. But any thoughts? Why the name of Jesus rather than just trusting in Jesus? Any thoughts? There were discussions. I'll pick on you. This one's a harder one, isn't it? Any thoughts? Anybody want to share anything? Is it because your name's something like, like people often do things in the family name? If that yeah, makes sense. yeah, yeah. There's something to that, isn't there? You, your name is, well, your reputation, isn't it? You don't like your name being misspelled, do you? <laughs> Especially if you're a Catherine. <laughs> How many? There must be 15 dozen ways to spell Catherine. It, it, your name is, is special to you. It's your reputation. All your character, your deeds are caught up with your name. If someone speaks against your name, they're speaking against you, aren't they? You are your name in one sense. Likewise, the name of Jesus represents all he is and all that he has done. It's his reputation. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? It's to make your name great. May your reputation be great. Your name is your reputation. But the name of Jesus is not a magical formula. It's not a power that operates apart from him. His name is rather a dynamic personal symbol of Jesus' continuing presence and power on earth. His name is powerful. But it's not to be used for selfish gain as if, oh, I want to do something spectacular. So, in the name of Jesus, remove that beard. You know, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, if, as if that's going to happen like magic. It, it, it's not like that. The name of Jesus is to be used for his purposes, aligned with his character. Indeed, 
when Peter quoted Joel back in Acts chapter 2, it said, Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So please note, Peter's interpretation of the incident so far is that the lame man was healed by trusting in the name of Jesus. But what's that got to do with us? It's a strange turning point here, but it's also important in the next slide. It says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Right. So he's speaking to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What is he saying? Because of this event, because this man has been healed, and that it's all about Jesus, the Jesus that they rejected, then the response that is needed from them is repentance. Turn back to Jesus as your Lord, as number one of your life. See, sin is the rejection of Jesus. Sin means rejecting the rule of Jesus. Sin is rejecting Jesus as the rightful king of your life. We may not have murdered Jesus like the Romans. We may not have plotted his murder like the Jewish leaders. We may not have condemned the innocent and acquitted the guilty like the Jewish crowd. But if we reject Jesus as the ruler of our lives, then we are equally guilty because he deserves to be king. And so I want to ask you, does Jesus rule your life? Or do you need to repent? In other words, to change your mind as to who Jesus really is and start living for him. Does your life revolve around Jesus or does Jesus will seemingly revolve around you as you go through life? You know, you're here at uni, you're doing your thing, and well, you want Jesus to kind of fit in around you and your timetable and your priorities and your plans and your purposes so that he just fills in all the bits that you aren't in control of, so to speak. But that's, in the end, rejecting Jesus. Because if Jesus really is king, then everything revolves around him. My speech life revolves around him. My sex life revolves around him. My thought life revolves around him. Why, everything about my life revolves around his plans and his purposes. And if they don't, then we need to repent. Are there areas of your life you know you need to ask forgiveness for and repent? I take it like me. 
you need to. Whatever the area of life that is known to you deep down inside, that you know Jesus is not pleased with. And I want to give you a moment right now. I'm actually going to pray kind of general prayer asking Jesus to forgive us. And if you think you'd like to pray that, then please pray with me now. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for resisting your rule as King. Please help me to live with you as Lord of every area of my life and to live for your name. may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things that which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. See, step by step, what is he saying? If you pray such a prayer, if you repent, then firstly your sins are blotted out. Everything that you have done to reject Jesus, every lie, every lustful thought, every selfish act, every sin, now blotted out. Like writing wiped off a whiteboard. Blotted out. All your record of debt held against you. Cancelled. Isn't that great news? And you can enjoy times of refreshing. I take it this refers to all those blessings of living for Jesus now before he returns. The assurance of forgiveness. Enjoying Christian family. Knowing God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord. Every Christian is my brother or sister. Enjoying his word and hearing it and, and being able to speak to him in prayer. Why they are times of refreshing. And all this while we wait for Jesus to return to restore all things as he promised. Times of restoration, the restoration of his kingdom. Do you know, hundreds of years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah described times of restoration this way. He said, strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. 
<coughs> Bill's starting to read. What's he saying? Firstly, when God finally comes to restore all things, he will come with vengeance on those who continue to resist his rule. But he will save his people back into his kingdom with restored and resurrected bodies. So by the name of Jesus, the healing of the lame man to leap like a deer anticipates the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. It's yet another sign of Jesus establishing his rule from heaven by his spirit through his apostles beginning at Jerusalem. So we read about the incident. The lame man is healed. We heard of Peter's interpretation that it's all about Jesus and anticipation of the kingdom to come. And what was the impact of the day? Have a look at chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Then you think after such amazing things would happen, that amazing things would continue to happen, but instead, what do you get? Opposition. <coughs> Opposition. It's not all rosy. Sure, thousands were saved and they were living in wonderful community and fellowship. But just like they opposed Jesus, the rulers of the Jews opposed the disciples. They opposed Peter and John for doing an amazing thing. And it wasn't just some of the rulers, but all of the rulers. All of the elders, all of the scribes, the equivalent of the court that Jesus stood before some months ago. Up to 70 people gathering to put the apostles on trial. But as Peter is gathered with them, look what he says to them, right? These 70 or so people. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Do you see what he says? Despite opposition, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, testifies to Jesus. And can I suggest to you that as we testify to this same Jesus today, we too must expect opposition. Two years ago, we ran a mission on this campus. The theme was, Jesus is better. And the fallout from it was something else. There was so much social media attacking the idea that Jesus is better. There were people who were, well, wanting to ban activities that we were doing. Some of the management got upset. Why? Because we were proclaiming that Jesus is better. Can you imagine what we're happen if we just said, Jesus is the best? <laughs> Which he is. 
This is how Jesus is better. Dear friends, you know, one possible litmus test as to whether we're preaching the true gospel is whether there's opposition. If, if we think we're going to go around and everybody's going to love us, then I'm not sure we're preaching the true gospel in the end. So can I get you to prepare for that? This Jesus is mission. It's happening around the traps. I wonder whether there'll be opposition. In two weeks' time, uh, we're going to run uh, an opportunity at this meeting on Thursday, and I'll be speaking on the topic, uh, Jesus is worth exploring. Oh, so lame, isn't it? Jesus is worth exploring. But I thought we'd go with that so that they can come and check out who Jesus is, right? But it's a mission in which I will be especially speaking to those of you and, God willing, a number of your friends who are still investigating who Jesus is. There'll be two different talks on the Wednesday and Thursday. But I suspect we'll still get some opposition. Why? Because we're claiming that Jesus really is Lord of heaven and earth. But like Peter, we need to rely on Jesus' spirit to proclaim him even in the face of opposition. There's a friend of mine who serves on a team in the United Arab Emirates. They're actually not allowed to go onto campuses, but they bravely do in order to tell people about Jesus. They just go around and say, do you want to read the Bible? They've got sheets of paper, and they end up going just to um, areas of food courts and so on. And they end up in all these amazing, amazing times of discussion. And they've seen so many people become Christians. One day, one of the authorities actually caught one of the guys and, and, and got him you know, off the university, and, and he had to be quizzed by the police in the police station. And then... They basically you know, had him there and they could have done all sorts of things to him, but he just felt emboldened to say, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. I'm speaking about Jesus. And people were actually calling him from the team saying, hey, we can get you out. Just stop talking. He said, no, no, I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to keep talking. And he shared the gospel with this. And my friend, you know, as he was being taken out after they actually released him, the guy who was quizzing him said, can I get your phone number? Because he wanted to follow up on who Jesus is. Isn't that incredible? That's spirit-empowered proclamation. Now, we don't know whether that's going to happen or not, but we've got to expect opposition. But even in the midst of opposition, what else can we expect? Have a look at this next slide. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. 5,000, yeah. We've got to expect people to be saved by Jesus, just like they were saved back then. And the amazing healing of the lame man illustrated this. Just a note as an aside, that the healing of this lame man is described in detail to display Jesus' rule and his ability to save. But it was not prescribed as something we should expect for all time. It's described, it's descriptive. This is not a descriptive, sorry, a prescriptive chapter. Right? God can heal like this today, so he describes what happened then. He can heal like this today, but he doesn't promise to. If he does heal like that today, well, point people to Jesus rather than the miracle. That's what Peter did. That's what we ought to do. But what is prescribed, what he does promise, it's not physical healing, but spiritual healing. People saved from hell by calling on the name of Jesus. 
So as we study on campus, as we live for Jesus, as we speak of his kingship, even in the face of ridicule or bullying or outright persecution, do remember that the best is yet to come. The best really is yet to come. Remember, the apostles were teaching in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That is, Jesus' resurrection is proof of a coming general resurrection when everybody will rise up to meet Jesus and be judged one way or another. And that's the flow of the argument here in Acts chapter 3 and 4. That Jesus' resurrection guarantees that God's promise to restore everything will be fulfilled. And that those who trust in Jesus will enjoy all the benefits of the salvation that his resurrection makes possible. Spiritually now, but completely and comprehensively then, when Jesus comes back to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. See, if we are saved by Jesus today, we have a guaranteed future in his presence now. I know of someone struggling with depression became a Christian. And her pastor very wisely said, you know, if you become a Christian, there's no guarantee your depression's going to lift. There's no guarantee that you're going to have to, you know, stop your drugs and so on, that you'll be completely healed of that emotional baggage, so to speak, and the chemistry that goes with that, which is so sad. There's no guarantee. To which she said, oh, I know that. I know that. But I'm looking forward to heaven when the best is yet to come. Does she got it? She understands the times that we live in. See, we will enjoy spiritual times of refreshing now, Christian family and church, love for one another, the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of people, hearing the Word of God, forgiveness of sins, assurance. But when Jesus comes to finally restore the kingdom in full, it will be a place where sin and its effects will be no more. Where there will be justice, where there will be security, when people will never fall sick and die ever again. When we will have resurrection bodies perfect for heaven. And when we will be seeing Jesus face to face. Are you looking forward to that day? The best is yet to come. So do decide to follow Jesus now. Do decide to speak of Jesus and his rule now. Because the best is yet to come. Someone's going to lead us in prayer. That person is M. Uh, hello, everybody. I am M, and I'm a third year theatre student. And I actually, I should say, even though I'm not wearing a white shirt, I do have the privilege of praying up here at the front for you all. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, why don't you join with me in prayer? And oh, before I forget, prayer is um, just talking to God and um, giving Him all of our uh, wants and needs, and uh, yeah, just depending on Him. So, uh, we join with me in prayer. Uh, dear Lord, uh, thank you that through Jesus 
the best really is yet to come. And thank you for Richard and the way that he uh, faithfully spoke to us today. And uh, we pray that we will be mindful of this as we live our lives, uh, that we will be uh, talking to people who don't know you and uh, yeah, telling them about the great news that you've given us. Uh, yeah, and Father, we pray for On Board this weekend. Uh, we pray for the conference that's happening and that people will be connected with Christians and be encouraged by the teaching uh, of Sam Green. And we just pray that people will be encouraged by spending time with Christians and learning from the Word. We also pray for teams starting next week. Yay. We thank you for, for uh, providing leaders to stretch us in our knowledge of God and the way that you want us to live and that uh, we can learn how to talk to people about you. Uh, we thank you that there are missionaries around the world that are preaching the gospel, the gospel to people faithfully and specifically we pray for uh, SNK and we thank you for the time they have had to rest and train. And uh, as they learn the language, please help them to be able to communicate well and effectively with uh, the people they meet so they can spread the gospel around uh, the place they are. And Lord, uh, we heard about the Jesus Is campaign that is starting up around Wollongong. We pray for the people who will uh, hear about you and uh, pray for the Christians around uh, the Wollongong area that they will be courageous in talking to young people and uh, everyone who they meet and that people will come to know you through this campaign. And uh, finally, God, we thank you for the fact that you listen to us, that you provide for us and that we have the opportunity to serve you and spend eternity with you. And we just pray that, uh, yeah, from the talk today, that we will be mindful of how to live uh, courageously and for your kingdom, that we will be uh, always joyful about everything you've given us. We just pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.